Good morning. How's everyone on this brisk Sunday? I hope that you are uh, encouraged to be in the house of the Lord today. I know I am. Uh, we are in the second week of just a three-week series on uh, the triune Christmas, uh, the part of each person of God, uh, how they are part of the Christmas story. Uh, last week we saw Adam talk about the father sins uh, so that we can be saved, talked about God's plan and God's grace and his mercy to us. And this week we're going to uh, explore the role of the Holy Spirit. Uh, how when he comes, he demonstrates his power so that we might be saved. And then next week, Adam will, assume he will, conclude the series on Christmas Day uh, with the Son. When I accepted uh, this opportunity to preach, because that's what wannabe preachers do, is uh, when they're given the opportunity to preach, they uh, they jump at it. You know, they they uh, you just don't turn down a chance to preach. So uh, I did accept that, and almost immediately, I went, "What have I done? I have agreed." to preach on the Holy Spirit's part and in the incarnation. Uh, as the country song goes, what was I thinking? Uh, uh, you know, and I think it's because to the, the church today, there's a little bit of an aura of... Uh, mystery around the Holy Spirit and about the Holy Spirit and I think that that's probably uh, in part a reaction to uh, probably some aberrant or devious or just outright wrong teaching uh, that came out of the charismatic movement uh, you know not always not in every instance but there was a I think during that time, uh, there was an over-emphasis over uh, on the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and so the pendulum has now kind of swung back the other way. And I don't really think that we give uh, sometimes the Holy Spirit the equal attention that he deserves as, the, as a co-equal person. Uh, and the thrice holy God. Uh, so anyway, I have prayed very hard that I would, uh, as it says in Timothy, rightly handle the word of God here today. A little note, just uh, in, in the scriptures that we read today, and some of them we'll have on screen, and some of them I'll just be reading, but uh, keep your eye and your ear open uh, for the word come and the word power uh, and what we're going to cover today. 
So all that being said, let's read our text for today in Luke uh, chapter 1, verses 34 through 38. Verse 34. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And we have to we need to frame this up just a little bit. You know, from last week, Gabriel has appeared to her, has uh, told her uh, what the plan is, and uh, told her what her child and who her child would be, uh, you know, that his name would be Jesus, that he would be great, he would be the Son of the Most High, he would be in the Lord God, and he would uh, give him the throne of David, and that he would reign over the house of Jacob, and his kingdom would have no end. And uh, Mary, in response to this, because Mary, even though she was a very young uh little Hebrew girl, she did know where babies came from, and she knew that the stork didn't bring them. And so this is a very honest question on her part uh, for the information to try to understand uh, what was really happening here. And this was in opposition to the question that uh, Zechariah had for Gabriel when it was basically an unbelief when he wanted a sign of how it was going to happen, that his barren wife would bear a son. So uh, I wanted to stop and expand on that because we're really not going to get back to that verse in most of what we're going to talk about today. So 35, starting in verse, then again in verse 35, and the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Wow. Uh, let's pray. Father, we just praise you and we worship you today. Lord, for your grace and for your mercy that's new every morning, Lord. Father, you are awesome, you are mighty, you are wonderful. And probably we just ask you today that the Holy Spirit would teach us, Lord, would show us, would convict us, Lord, out of this, out of this, these few verses, Lord, that are so rich, it's such a, it's such a magnificent piece of, of Scripture, Lord. And I just pray, Lord, that, that, uh, that, Lord, that it would go past our ears and into our hearts, Lord, that, uh, that your word, Lord, would change us, Lord, that it would uh, be a mirror to us, Lord, that it would, 
allow us to see ourselves as we are. Father, I just pray that we would be open, Lord, to the Holy Spirit, Lord, to move, Lord, to change, Lord, to convict, Lord, to save. And we just pray you, and we just praise you, and we just thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. As we read uh, these verses, and particularly as it relates to the whole, the entire chapter of chapter 1 of Luke, uh, which, by the way, if you haven't read or looked at the whole thing, uh, it has 80 verses, which makes it the longest chapter in the New Testament. Or it has the most verses, I should say. Uh, Matthew 26 has the most words, and but they all pale in comparison to Psalm 119, which has 176 verses. Uh, I just ran across that this week <laughs> while I was studying that. I found that interesting. So I didn't know, I did, I didn't know that, so now you know. Uh, but as you look at this whole chapter and all that's going on, and all that's already happened even before up to, to, the, to where we read today. Uh, you've got Zechariah, you've got Elizabeth, uh, you've got the announcement of the birth of John the Baptist, uh, you've got the angel Gabriel, you have Mary, and so you have all these characters, and if you're not careful, you would overlook who is the main character in this piece of Scripture, which is God. Uh, God is on the move, uh, and he's on the move in a big way. And this is in stark contrast uh, to the last 400 years, from, the, from Malachi to the birth of Jesus Christ to these scriptures that we're looking here. Roughly 400 years, there has been uh, no prophets, no, or at least no published prophets in the Bible, uh, God has remained strangely silent. Uh, not that he was not there, not that he was not working, not that he was in the background, but, uh, but uh, strangely silent up until this point. And now, in his uh, divine, sovereign providence, he has picked this moment uh, to reveal his son, to reveal his plan to mankind. And it's interesting who he chose to do that was a little Hebrew girl, a little teenager uh, in a little backwater town uh, of Nazareth. Uh, Nazareth was a nothing little place. I don't even know if it would have made the map if they had a map back then. Uh, on the very north edge border of Galilee, just uh, and was not known for really anything. Uh, you would think that God would announce this in Jerusalem. You know, that he would hire the biggest ad agency in Jerusalem and, you know, would have, like, billboards on camels or something. You know, I mean, you would, 
you would think that uh, you know, in the he would do it in the center of religion, that he would do it where where the scribes and the Pharisees uh, resided, and uh, what was the center of of uh, the Jewish religion at that time. But uh, that's not what God chose to do. So let's look back real quick before we really get into the meat of this because there's, there's just, uh, if you go way back to the very beginning in Genesis 1, 1, and 2, uh, a very, very familiar piece of Scripture, but in the beginning, God. And you have to stop right there and you have to get this right. Like if, if, you're shaky, if you're shaky right here, uh, you can't get the real meaning of Christmas. Uh, God, the uncreated one. God, the one that was here before time, who always has been, who always is, who always will be, from everlasting to everlasting, God, Elohim, is the word here, is the Hebrew word here, which uh, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but it's not just mighty God, it's almighty God. Uh, and God created. There was no Big Bang. There was not inert gases that collided and pond scum and something crawled up out of it and evolved into what we have today. No, God created the universe and the heavens and the earth and the stars and the planets, and he did it in six days. And he rested on the seventh. And then, to kind of get where we're going here, in verse 2 of Genesis 1, it says, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God, capital S, capital G, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So very early on in the Bible, verse 2, we are introduced to the Holy Spirit, and He is right in the thick of the creative process of God creating the world. And we also know that the Son was there because in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 14, it tells us that the Word became flesh and dwelled among us. So we see the triune God, the thrice holy God, at work in creation. All three doing their part. So we fast forward 4,000 years, and we see the Holy Spirit come with power to do three things that we're going to look at today, certainly not all that's involved in the office of the Holy Spirit. Uh, that would be an entire series. Uh, 
Just for example, in Acts 1.8, Jesus told his disciples that they would receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon them. And in this case, to witness to uh, Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to all to the end of the earth, in other words, the power to carry out the Great Commission. And so we look back now at Luke chapter 1 and verse 35, and we're going to read this again. So in answer to Mary's question, Gabriel says, the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Do I know exactly how that works? No. I don't think we need to know. But at that moment, Mary's womb was empty, as it should be. She was a virgin. There was no form. There was no shape. There was nothing there. there was, her, her womb was empty. It was void. And in just as quickly as when God said, let there be light, there was light. Just as whether it happened uh, right now where, while he's telling her this or whether it was maybe down a little bit when she said, let it be unto me according to your word or any exact, but one moment there was her womb was void and the next moment there was a child. Not just any child, but the Son of God. But it's the creative work of the Holy Spirit on display. The power of God on display in Mary. And I don't know why, you know, this is probably, of all the miracles uh, in the Bible, this is probably the most contested. This is probably the one uh, that uh, most people seem to want to have the most problem with. But I don't really necessarily understand that. Uh, do you think this is too hard for God? Uh, you know, he, he spoke the universe into existence. He parted the Red Sea. He uh, fed 5,000 out of a handful of fish and bread. He walked on the water uh, and on and on. And we know just a little bit further down in verse 37, it tells us that there... Uh, that for nothing will be impossible with God. And so this is a miracle of creation. Uh, and there's really nothing uh, harder about this than any other of the rest of the miracles that, that, uh, that he performed. In Psalms 51, David cries out, Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Same word, create. Same word is used in creation in Genesis. Uh, put a little note. If you keep if you keep notes, uh, 
Go read uh, Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27. Uh, we're not going to go there. Just, uh, some homework for you. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The Holy Spirit has come down at this time, at this place, to create in the power of the Holy Spirit. And now we're going to go forward 33 years, and we're going to read the Holy Spirit power to convict. Uh, John, Gospel of John, 16, verses 6 and 7 and 8, I'm sorry. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, or in some translations, the comforter, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So we see the Holy Spirit now coming with the power to convict us. You know, if uh, we kind of use the word conviction if, if maybe we say something that we feel like maybe hurt somebody's feelings in, and we later go, well, I feel a little convicted about that. Or, or you walk past the uh, salvation bell ringer and maybe you didn't put any money in and you get inside the store and you go, wow, <laughs> a little convicted. I didn't put some money in the, into the bucket. But the conviction that we're talking about here uh, goes far beyond that. Uh, it's a legal term. You know, you are convicted in a court of law. Uh, but in the Greek, this, this word is, uh, goes further than just, I felt a little bad. Uh, this word convicted means that you have been accused or indicted. Uh, evidence has been produced. The evidence has been examined and weighed. You have been proven guilty. Judgment has been rendered. rendered. Sentence has been pronounced. And you have no choice but to shake your head and nod your head because the evidence is so overwhelming. You're not, this is not uh, kicking and screaming on the way out. Uh, I'm innocent, I'm innocent. No. You are convinced, as you should be, by your guilt. So let's look at, uh, and that's pretty easy. You can look in Romans and you can see that all have sinned and came short of the glory of God and that the wages of sin is death. And so it doesn't have to be very long. It can be pretty quick to be convicted. Uh, Let's look at one example of the Holy Spirit acting as a prosecuting attorney. Uh, in Acts chapter 2, we see the first sermon preached 
uh, after Jesus has gone, the Holy Spirit has come, the day of Pentecost has come, and the power of the Holy Spirit has fell on those that were praying and waiting, and uh, they start speaking in tongues and speaking to all the different people that are there at that time in their own language. And so uh, people are beginning to say some different things and whatnot, and finally Peter stands up under the power of the Holy Spirit and says, uh, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to, to my words, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. So he dispels uh, any notion that, uh, that, these, uh, that, that they're drunk because it's only 9 o'clock in the morning. And then he starts his sermon by quoting five verses out of Joel, the prophet Joel, uh, to explain what these people are seeing in the last days. It shall be, God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And he goes on to quote by memory these five verses out of Joel, uh, which brings us to another part of the Holy Spirit that we're not going to talk about today, but Jesus told them that the Holy Spirit would bring remembrance to them of all that I've said and I've taught you. And so they didn't have, uh, they didn't have uh, notebooks and, and uh, laptops back then, so Peter's quoting out of memory. Five verses out of, out of uh, uh, from Joel, then four more, then four more verses uh, out of Psalms, and then two more verses out of Psalms. As he's preaching this sermon, he is proclaiming the Word of God. And the Word of God is sharp, it tells us in Hebrews, and active and alive and sharper than any two-edged sword. So in verse 22, he really begins to lay out the prosecution. He says, <clears throat> men of Israel... Hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. He leaves no doubt. He lays it out for them. You know that you've seen the miracles that he's done. He's done them right here in Jerusalem. You know about them. You've seen them. You've talked to people who've been healed. Uh, you know all that has gone on, but nonetheless, uh, you manipulated the system. You brought false witnesses to testify against Jesus. Uh, you paid them and put Pilate in an, with nowhere to go, and you chanted, crucify him, crucify him. And then David goes on from there to quote out of Psalms, and he's making his case, and finally he gets to his summation, or about to get to his summation in verse 36, that all... 
The house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And at that moment, the conviction, power of the Holy Spirit came over these people. And before Peter could even finish his sermon, in verse 37, it says, And now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Who do you believe was wielding the knife that cut them to the heart? The Holy Spirit. He's taken the Word of God that's sharp and is active, and He has pierced them in the heart. He's cut right down to the very, it says, between the joint and the marrow, between the thoughts and the intents of man. Their intentions and their sins were laid bare before them, before themselves. And so before Peter could even finish, the conviction upon them is so great that they come and they say, what shall we do? Verse 37, the rest of the verse 37, and Peter. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And when the conviction of the Holy Spirit comes upon you, it leads to repentance, real repentance, real, real conviction, real repentance, which leads us right into our next point, our next part of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit, and that is the power to save. Repentance, true repentance, leads to salvation. And when that happens, another legal transaction takes place. We're pardoned. We've been pardoned and our sins have been forgiven. The sentence is vacated. And not just not just forgiven, our sins are not just forgiven, but they're covered and washed away by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And not just covered and washed away, but forgotten, blotted out, and never spoken of again. Thank you. That's something to say amen about. How could this happen? You might ask. Second Corinthians five twenty one tells us for our sake he made him he God made him Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And that's the gospel. And that's why Jesus came. That's why the Holy Spirit has been doing his work from the very beginning of time. And that's the reason why Paul wrote in Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. 
Why would you be ashamed? What would there be to be ashamed of? Why would you not take the opportunity to tell anyone, someone, everyone about this, about what has happened when you have been changed? And then Paul goes on to say, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Power, that word power there, dunamis, where we get the word dynamite, uh, it's explosive power. It's supernatural power. It's the power to turn your life around. It's the power to change you from the inside out. Never to be the same again. Rescued. Delivered. Saved. Powerful. And it's powerful enough to save you all the way to the end. If this, if this, uh, if this didn't happen to you, you need to be saved. Because if, this, if you are saved, it changed you. It turned you around. It made you into a different person. It lifted off the guilt. It lifted off the sin. And it's powerful enough to last all the way to the end. No half measures. I was sentenced to death in my sins and trespasses, but now I've been made alive together with Christ and seated in heavenly places. Amen. Praise God. Christmas takeaway. For me, it's pretty easy, I guess. Uh, hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. From the fall in Genesis 3 to the miraculous birth of his son all through the Old Testament God was weaving his tapestry. He was weaving his preparing a way for sinful man to be reconciled to a holy God. And not just a way, but the way. Jesus says that no one comes to the Father apart from a saving faith in Him. The plan of the Father, the sacrifice of the Son of God, and the power of the Holy Spirit all coming together. For Christmas. One more thing before I close. If you uh, if you're here today and you've not experienced that, if you're here today and you feel the Holy Spirit speaking to you, convicting you, 
and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I pray that you would do that today. We're not going to call you down here. We're not going to make you do anything. You just say a prayer. You ask God to come into your heart and then just find myself or the pastor or one of the elders, John and Kate. Uh, I guess Bruce is in the back. Uh, but uh, we'll be glad to help you and get you started, lead you in the right direction. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your powerful word. We thank you, Lord, for the creation, Lord, of the Holy Spirit, by the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, that brought the Son of God to live, Lord, without sin, Lord, and to die and to be resurrection, Lord, that resurrected that we might, Lord, be the very image of God, the very image of Christ. And Lord, I just pray, Lord, that our hearts, Lord, would be tuned to you through this time, Lord, during this Christmas season, Lord, I pray, Lord, that, that uh, our eyes and our hearts, Lord, would be on you in everything, in every way. And we just praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.